it's time to know about your favorite shows, but maybe not your favorites. So grab your drink and give your glass a clink to Broadway Blackout. Broadway Blackout. Broadway Blackout. I'm not giving away my... Marianne, finish the lyric. Oh, crap. Shot! Broadway Blackout. Hey, hi. How you doing? Welcome back. Welcome, welcome. Jumbo, hello. Hello! Welcome to Broadway Blackout, a witty and depth look at some of the atrocities that have come to the Broadway stage. As you're listening, we will enjoy a signature cocktail theme of the show each week. And that signature cocktail is created by none other than the very own Marianne, my co-host of this podcast, they're delicious every week. It's something you should definitely uh, join in on. If you're not over the age of 21, you can have a mocktail, a virgin beverage to satisfy your needs until yeah. you turn 21. Don't drink. Yeah, once you're 21, you can enjoy the alcoholic beverages with us. Yeah. Definitely uh, go over to our Instagram at Broadway Blackout so you can find the recipe for this week's drink and the prior episode drinks as well. Let's start by talking a little bit about ourselves. As mentioned, I am Marianne. And I'm Rita. Right now we're going to give you a little info on ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So every week we're going to give you some fun facts so that you get to know Rita and I through our podcast, not just our nerdy theatrical nature. I feel like the only thing that people know about me is my, my nerdy, nerdy theatrical, theatrical nature. nature. Yeah. Debbie came by today and she's like, oh, my hairstylist went to high school with you, and I was like, "Oh, okay." But I don't know her. You know, I don't. I don't know her name. It sounds familiar, but I can't picture her. And she goes, "Yeah." When I said, "Oh, do you know Marianne?" She was like, "Oh, yeah. She liked theater." And I was like, "Yep. Nothing has changed." If if you went to any person that knows me, and even like barely those knows me, yeah, and they were like, "Just give me one attribute about Rita," they'd be like, "Theater. Like that's it." Like, yeah. she can quote musical theater like it is her day job and she gets paid six figures to do it. But you don't. No, not even close. No. But let's find out another fun fact about Rita. Let's do it. You want to go first? Yes. All right. Let's 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 hear it. I was with Rita and our friend Haley in New York City when they <laughs> both accosted Christopher Jackson Daddy. on the street. I had no idea what was going on. But they totally... <laughs> They're like, Christopher Jackson! Excuse me, like, oh, excuse oh. me. I need to okay. I need to stop this. Right, I did not scream at him. Oh. It was all Haley. She bombarded him with a glottal attack of, Oh my god, you're Christopher Jackson! I love you! And I was like trying to like nonchalantly be like, yo, Haley, you see who that is? You see who that is in the Hamilton hat walking towards us? Because I'm a big fan of Christopher Jackson uh-huh. and she just like screamed at him, word vomited at him, which is why we aren't able to stage door together when I go see shows with her because yeah, she yeah. doesn't know how to talk to actors, which is funny because she's an actor. Like this is what she does professionally. Yeah, but, but it's also Haley. That's true. But that is a it is a fun fact. Honestly though, I'm going to like piggyback on that fun fact about myself because the same 
the same night. So we went to go see Falsettos. Oh, was uh, that that night? It was that night. It was the okay. revival. And we had noticed that Norval Leo Butts, who is my other... Norval Leo Butts <laughs> and Christopher Jackson are my two favorite men on Broadway. Yeah, yeah. Hands down. And he happened to be in the audience seeing the show. And I might have verbally attacked his wife in the bathroom telling her how much I love her husband. Yeah. I- as he waited outside of the bathroom for her. And I just dead dead-eyed him and was like I love you and that was not my first time seeing Robert Leo Butts in person and whispering I love you to him and then right after that we see daddy Christopher Jackson it was a night yeah but also we stood outside the men's bathroom a lot waiting to see when he was going to come just in case I don't know if I would ever have gone up to him, but man, I love that man. I love both of them. Mm-hmm. All right, fun fact about Marianne. If you're ever at a bar with Marianne, you will almost <laughs> always hear Red Solo Cup or Sister Christian. That's true. Because when Marianne gets black out, <laughs> her infamous words are, Motor in! <laughs> like that. That's very true. <laughs> So if you ever go to the bar with Marianne and there's a jukebox there or any type of music player, yeah, yeah. she's probably putting her money in to play those two songs. Yeah, I actually, uh, fun piggyback off of that. Um, piggyback it all day today. You get a hernia if you have me on your piggyback. Oink, oink. Um, my fiance <laughs> bought me tickets last year to a piano bar for my birthday. Dueling pianos. Dueling pianos. And we went and... He paid money for them to play Sister Christian, which I was really happy about, and it was very sweet. And then they had this thing where it's like, oh, you can put in more money if you want us to stop playing that song. And they stopped playing it because <gasps> somebody put in money. And I was so annoyed because it was my birthday present. It yeah. Was for me, and it was my song that I went up and gave them like $60. And I was like, you finished my song. I wonder how much money they got to Probably, stop playing it. I don't care, but... They finished my song after that. I was That's, like, it is my birthday. You play my song. As, as they should have. And they did. Good. All right. Second fact, Mayor. Um, oh, God. I'm nervous. Rita was booby assaulted. <laughs> Rita was titty slapped. We were at our fave bar. And Rita and I got up after. Uh, well, we went to the bar after a rehearsal. And we got up. To play music on the jukebox as we usually did after this particular rehearsal. <laughs> and we have a habit of putting on uh, Disney songs. Because we don't care. Yeah. As a dive bar, we're the hell is everybody? musical theater nerds. We want a belt. So as we were standing there, a very drunk woman came up and started saying things like, Are you the girls that put on the Disney songs? And me, not caring at all about anyone, turned around and I was like, yeah, yeah, leave me alone. And I just Like continued. completely ignoring her. Completely. And I was ignoring her too, but she just wouldn't let it go. Rita was not ignoring her. Rita was <laughs> consistently answering her questions and being friendly. And I, I think at one point I must have turned around and was like, why are you talking to her? I felt like I was like just trying to be like, uh-huh, okay, go away. Like, like as nice as possible, be like. Go away. Stop being nice to drunk old women in bars. So, in any case, Yikes. all I know <laughs> I learned my lesson. is that after a while of putting in a lot of songs, I turned around and the bartender what? and like two other guys were separating Rita and this woman, and apparently she had taken out her female her chesticle and shoved <laughs> Rita's face. 
she basically was like, I'm going to boob slap you. And I was like, excuse me? Because Marianne was putting part of your world and the Little Mermaid on. And she was like, Disney does not belong in a bar. We're adults. And I was like, have you been to Disney World? It's 98% adults. And This is what I'm saying. Rita is talking to these people. Why? I don't even know if I said that to her, but... You in were my, having a full-blown In my brain, I was like, ooh, my dude. And then she was like, I'm going to boob slap you. And I was like, huh? Not even giving me a moment to process what she said. She took the booby out and she grabbed the back of my head and just slammed it into her chest. Before I could even come up for air to like even process what was happening, like Marianne said, the bartender and like another patron were in between us because... I turned around. Let's be real. She probably would have killed me. She was giant. And and I don't mean giant as in like, like she was just a, a tall woman. She was taller than you. And she was like a grown ass lady. Yeah. And... I am a tiny musical theater nerd. I am not looking for a bar fight. I I probably would have, like, punched her in the... I don't know what I would have done. I don't know what I would have done. It was a big shock. All for part of your world. And it still played after that. Yeah. Her friends had to take her home. She was so drunk. Well, we started yelling. We all started yelling at her. But it's also, like, super embarrassing for her, in my opinion. Like, you're a grown-up. And I get that, like, everyone wants to go drink at bars. It's fun, especially pre-COVID. But, like, you're an adult and you're acting like that. Like, that's embarrassing. Yeah, but it was it was GT. Yeah, yeah. Second fun fact about Marianne, not <laughs> nearly as good as that. Marianne loves to meow. No, I don't. You're a liar. <laughs> she meows so often. And she claims that she hates cats. But a bitch is lying. No way. Because she loves them. She sends me pictures of her fiancé's cats all the time. She is their stepmommy and she no. loves them. <laughs> yeah. No. And she constantly is meowing. I was in the bathroom before and she texted me meow twice. <laughs> so all I got to say is Marianne loves to meow. <laughs> <laughs> and if anybody out there is actually listening and has any kind of Photoshop, Snapchat, paint skills. You should definitely recreate Marianne into a cat. Just saying. Oh my God, what's the cat? Please make her Deuteronomy from (laughs) (laughs) Andrew Lloyd Webber's. I would die. I will pay you to create. I would be Glamour Cat. No, frick that. You are (laughs) Deuteronomy. The cat that sits there and is like, I know all. It's true. I'm, I'm omnipotent. As everyone kicks their face around him. He's like, <laughs> yeah, I got the easy job. Yeah, I'm not kicking anyone's <laughs> face. I'm lucky if I get up out of this chair at the end of the night. Oh, especially after those cheese fries and the drink. Woo. Girl, I might be sleeping over. Stop calling me out, yeah. All right. So should we get into this week's show? Sure. This week, our podcast will pay tribute to one of the most prolific American composer's ultimate flops, or one of his most ultimate flops. Big yikes. Frank Wildhorn's The The Civil Civil War. War. (laughs) It is a musical about... I can't do anything but laugh. (laughs) The Civil War. There are no characters. No. Well, there are kind of. Not really. They're named in the playbill. Right. And some of them are supposed to be, like, recognizable, like Frederick Douglass. Yeah. But, like... And Maya Angelou. Right. But I would say, like, <laughs> five of them 
are nameable. And there are a lot of characters in this show. Yeah. What I like about it is that it is true stories. Yes. But, like, true stories of people we literally know nothing about. Except Linda Edder. We'll get into that. <laughs> okay. So for this week's drink, Marianne, oh. tell us about it. What are we um, drinking? It's supposed to be a layered drink. I have only mastered two of the three layers, though. <laughs> or I should say one of the three This is layers. where we get into that uh, part of the podcast where we say she is a self-proclaimed mixologist. It tastes good. When you drink it with your straw... You want to pull the straw up okay. as you're drinking. All right, I'm going to do it right now. Because it's layers. So you have to get a little Oh, bit. so I want to get a taste of everything in right. the drink. So you know what this drink kind of looks like? It looks like those firecracker ice pops that yeah. you get around the 4th of July. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's like the red bottom, that blue middle. And blue takes up most of the ice pop and then it's the white at the top. Right. That's what this drink reminds me of, which is so fitting for the Civil War. Right. It's not supposed to be that, but I can't get the... Yeah. Uh, so when you're making layered drinks, the thought process behind layered drinks is that it's supposed to be the liquid with the biggest sugar or the highest sugar content goes on the bottom. Okay. And then sugar, uh-huh. and then you layer it like that. So, on the bottom is grenadine, and then it's supposed to be lemonade, and then curacao on top, but the curacao keeps mixing with the lemonade, which to me means either I'm really horrible at gently layering drinks, or these two particular this version of, of the lemonade. So maybe you has need a, a similar sugar right. con. But I will say it feels very patriotic mm-hmm. drinking this drink and looking at the drink. And I think it goes perfectly with the Civil War. And yeah. we're not perfect. We're, well, it's Veterans Day. Yeah. And we're not trained in bartending. And I think mm-hmm. this is a great option for amateurs yeah. to be drinking something fun for you to make at home and <clears throat> drink along to this mm-hmm. podcast. But yeah, so do yourself a favor. Go get those ingredients Marianne mentioned before. Yeah, so what you want to do, just really quick, grenadine on the bottom, mm-hmm. put some ice in, mm-hmm. and then you want to get a spoon, turn the spoon upside down so that it's conclave, pour the lemonade over it gently, and then pour the curacao over it gently. Let's talk about the Civil War. Okay. Um, it's a musical, <laughs> like we said, written by Gregory Boyd and Frank Wildhorn with lyrics by Jack Murphy. It's basically a bunch of musical numbers portraying Union soldiers, Confederate soldiers, and slaves and their viewpoints. That's cool. Um, and it it's very interesting because this is the first musical that kind of looked at African-American slaves as equals to the soldiers mm-hmm. in their experiences during the war. Absolutely. Um, what I find really cool about this musical is it, it was nominated for two Tony Awards. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a flop, but it still was nominated. It was nominated for Best Musical and Best Score. Yeah. And the styles of music were real all over the place. We had gospel, folk, country, rock, rhythm and blues. We got... Military marching. Yeah, we got some intense power ballads in there. We got some real boring ballads in there. Well, it was Frank Wildhorn, so yeah, it's a lot of Which... Once we get into Frank Wildhorn, you'll be here for 42 hours. Yeah. We have so many opinions on him. <laughs> um, but a studio cast album was released in 1999 by Atlantic Re- uh, Records, mm-hmm. and it included the cast, um, Linda Etter, <laughs> who, if you know Frank Wildhorn, that is his muse, yeah, yeah. Um, Maya, Maya Angelou, James Garner, Hootie and the Blowfish, Jack Travis, 
Yet Travis Tritt, Dr. John, and Betty Buckley, who, again, if you didn't listen to our Carrie the Musical podcast, go you check should. it out from last week. We talk about Betty Buckley there. You're going to hear all the love. Um, they actually, they came up with this idea, and then they, they went to Gettysburg, all three of them, Wildhorn and Boyd and Murphy, mm-hmm. and they went to the hill at Gettysburg, and as their tour guide was telling them about everything that was going on, Frank Wildhorn, in an interview, said that he was thinking about, like, looking at the hill at Gettysburg, mm-hmm. because anybody that has done any research on battlefields and battling... You want the higher ground, that that whole idea that, oh, take the higher ground in every situation Mm -hmm. comes from that you want to be above your opponent Mm. physically on a hill or on a mountain or anything like that. You have a better vantage point. So the the Union soldiers were up on top of the hill and the Confederates were below the hill. So how could they have possibly thought that they could have won this battle? And that was kind of what they were thinking. You know, like, how could they have possibly taken this hill? And then his thoughts turned to, how could we have done that to each other, that we killed 650,000 countrymen Mm -hmm. in this war? And then he said that after that went this thought of making it a very personal thing is what made the song start to flow, which is ironic because... None of the characters have names. And the song, the first song he ever wrote was I'll Never Pass This Way Again. So for the studio cast recording, it was a different cast of people than were on Broadway because the, the people on Broadway were the people on Broadway. They were the actors. You know, you didn't have Hootie and the Blowfish right. on stage doing their, their number. But we had Linda Etter in it. She, she stayed. She played an army nurse, mm-hmm. which I th- think is a really cool concept. Um... But you also had... Who became an angel of death later. Right, which is so original. <laughs> um, but you also had Beth Level. Yeah. And that's exciting because yeah. she's Beth Level. Yeah. And yeah, you had uh, Keith Byron Kirk. Who did you say? Michael Lanning. Yep, Michael Lanning. Um, Matt Bogart. A pretty good cast. A pretty yeah. good cast of people. Yeah. It premiered on Broadway at the St. James Theater on April 22nd, 1999. And it closed on June 13th, 1999, running for 61 performances and 35 previews. Directed by Jerry Zaks with musical staging by Louis Perez. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, Wildhorn's inspiration for this was his son, Justin. Okay. He, he was in high school at the time, and he had to do a social studies project um, <clears throat> on one of... Something about Frederick Douglass. I forget exactly what it was. But... He had a hard time remembering what Douglas was saying. And Wildhorn kind of just made the flippant remark, well, if Hootie and the Blowfish uh, sang this, because, again, remember, it was the 90s, Mm -hmm. uh, would you remember it? And he's like, yeah, Dad, why don't you go and make that happen? And he's Frank Wildhorn, so he did. Yeah. And like Marianne said before, hardly anyone on stage is ever identified by a name. Um, indicating that the audience is meant to view the characters as every man or every woman. Mm-hmm. Um, the costumes were very vague. Yeah. They were supposed to have, like, hints of military insignia, like, between the leather and the denim. 
That Britney Spears microphone. Yeah, which is paying <laughs> like a, a homage to Rent, like yeah. or like a Janet Jackson music video. Yeah. Very like nineties of yeah. them, yeah. of them to do that. Yeah. Uh, so the yeah. the world premiere was actually at the Alley Theater in Houston, Texas, mm-hmm. in nineteen ninety eight. Yeah. The musical was supervised by Boyd, basically directed by him. And Louis Perez, like Rita had mentioned, she uh, he did the musical staging for Marie Carey and the Wild Party, and he did fight. No, he did the fight choreo for Marie Christie and Wild Party. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And then they released, yeah, like you said, the Civil War, the Nashville Sessions, which is what had all of the pop singers and such in it. Later on in ninety, led to that that, right. that uh, cast album, right? And then January of ninety nine, they released a soundtrack. It opened at the St James Theater. Yeah. In April twenty second, uh, ninety nine, closed by June. And I always thought I, when I realized that it was directed by Jerry Zaks, I thought that was very interesting because mm-hmm. Jerry Zaks was also the person that was staging Assassins. Oh. For uh, Sondheim. Yeah, right. In 2001, mm-hmm. when September 11th came out. and I didn't realize yeah. Assassins was that old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, another show about American history. Assassins came out. It didn't get great reviews. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of reviewers thought that the staging missed the point of the show. Which kind of... Is also what they said about Jerry Zaks with this production. So does he just have a, a block when it comes to staging American historical type shows? Just a rhetorical question. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it seems it. Yeah. But I just thought that was super interesting because as soon as I read it, it was like, directed by Jerry Zaks. I was like, oh my God. Uh, it lost $6 million. That's a lot of money. A lot of money. So the the Variety reviewed um, the Alley Theater production mm-hmm. and said that the show was not a traditional musical as a review style presentation of a song cycle. Wildhorn and co-creators Jack Murphy and Gregory Boyd imposed precious little narrative structure of the Civil War, preferring instead to integrate individual self-contained vignettes as elements in a thematically consistent but essentially bookless concert. The production uses rear screen projections of photos, paintings, and letters to evoke the period setting. So, to me, this sounds like a musical that should have been off-Broadway in, like, 2020. Yeah. Because it definitely has, like, glimpses of hopes to it because I love a good song cycle. Yeah. I know you love a good song cycle. Oh, absolutely. Sometimes shows just do better as an album. Yeah just do better as a song cycle. It almost feels like a Hamilton mixtape. Yeah. And I don't, when I say that though, I don't mean like the style of music. I just mean the idea of the show. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that it has a new life Mm off stage being a song cycle and an oratorio. And I think that was where the production team, and I, I, I mean this in the best possible way, went wrong. Mm-hmm. Because when you're putting a musical on Broadway that is a bookless musical, you cannot call it a new musical. Yeah. They build it as the Civil War, 
a new musical. Mm -hmm. And it's not a musical. Smokey Joe's Cafe was a review of this. You know, you walked into that show on Broadway knowing that you were going to be listening to songs. And even Jerry Zaks has gone on the record as saying, I had no idea that he wanted it to be a song cycle or an oratorio. Jerry Zaks is saying, we never had that conversation. No. I feel like it could have been successful as a song cycle, like like a Songs for a New World. Yeah. It, it would have made more sense. Yes. Because you're learning about a new character each song. And there's only really, like, one or two songs that go together. Every song is a new genre of music and just a new story, which is a cool idea. Yeah. But doesn't work in a stage performance. Yeah. And I think that the other thing, too, is something that we had touched on on the last podcast is this kind of idea of characters and wanting Mm -hmm. to care about characters. And they did go through the trouble of doing this whole wonderful presentation of the multimedia presentation of the photos and, and everything. And you you could be watching these photos that are scrolling by on stage wanting to know the story of that person. Because each one of these people had their own stories. But you're kind of deprived in that because you're hearing a letter from somebody and they're writing home. But you're never given a name. You're never given... Right, and you're given, like, a glimpse into their lives, but just a glimpse. Like, right as you start to get invested, it's like, oh, next one. And then you move on. Yeah. So you... I feel like it's hard to be invested Mm -hmm. in a show where the characters are vague AF. No, serious. No, I agree. I completely agree with you. Yeah. I would love to see this redone by City Center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is right up City Center's alley. I think they could get an incredible cast mm-hmm. of people. I think they could even do it as, like, a benefit with, like, the actors that have been in productions of, like, Hamilton. Yeah. Because it all kind of goes hand in hand. And if you listen to the music just kind of separate from the book, it's not miserable. I no. mean, it's still Frank Wilde's horn. Yeah. Listen, I wouldn't go out of my way to be like, yes, this is my album for the day, but I wouldn't get angry if one of the songs popped up in a shuffle. It almost gives me, the show almost gives me like Bright Star vibes when it, in like the folk music aspect. But you know, folk musicals don't seem to do well on Broadway. Folk music or, or bluegrass music is like an acquired taste. Yes. Especially in theater. I think where it is such a specific sound mm-hmm. that you're listening yeah, to. Yeah. And whether it be contemporary or golden age, it's still its own sound. It's musical theater. Yeah. And this album had aspects of musical theater. Yeah. But you could listen to it and think it one of the songs was like a radio song. Yeah. And honestly, the cast had some of the most amazing singers. Yeah. I mean, if you go on... The talent was there. Yeah, and you look up um, the 99 Tony Awards performance, and you have Keith Byron Kirk singing the Frederick Douglass part, you are... You melt. I mean, he sounds beautiful. He sounds amazing. But I think the fact that Frank Wildhorn, at the same time 
had Jacqueline Hyde on Broadway. Right. Had Scarlet Pimpernel. Right. And th- at that point, it was like in the middle of its being Ro- revived. It was re- being revised. Yeah. Yeah. And then he comes out with this, which is so completely different. But people love Jekyll and Hyde. Scarlet Pimper now. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about it in another episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, we have to. To me, is wild about Frank Wildhorn. Huh? <laughs> he He's so true to Linda Etter that he just has to write her a part in every musical he writes. Yeah. And there is no doubt that the woman is talented. Oh, no. She's wonderful. I just think it's funny. Like, I just... I feel like he would put her in any show, even if it didn't fit her. Yeah. Especially at that time and the height of his career. Yeah. Well, she had killed it in Jacqueline Hyde. Oh, my God. And then as Lucy. And then she killed it in Scarlet Pimpernel. And he just was like, what else can I write for you? What else? Mm-hmm. It's like, just... That. <laughs> yeah. Let's make her an angel of death because... Why not? super romantic. So, Frank Wildhorn has often been compared to Andrew Lloyd Webber in his pop sense style. And now, ALW, there is some stuff that I think that you wrote that was brilliant. I think Evita mm-hmm. was brilliant. It was. I enjoy, there are people that do not, I really enjoy Josephine the Maze and Pecker Clark Green Yeah, I happen, to, I happen to enjoy Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah. And there is some stuff that you wrote, like Phantom. Or Cats. That I'm like, why? Yeah. At that time, Wildhorn became one of the first American composers in Broadway history to have three musicals running simultaneously on Broadway. Yeah. Sure, it was short-lived because Civil War flopped hard and it closed after a three-month run, but that's a big deal. Yeah. And I mean, what, Andrew Lloyd Webber just did that when he had Cats, Phantom, and School of Rock on Broadway. Like, it doesn't feel like it happens yeah. that often. But, so Frank Wildhorn. Yeah. <laughs> he kind of thought that he wanted this show to be an oratorio. And for those of you that are music people but don't under, you know, maybe you don't know what an oratorio is. An oratorio is a through-composed musical piece, meaning there's no speaking in it, but it has a fluid story that goes throughout. Think of The Messiah by Okay, so it's almost, in a sense, like an operetta. Yes. Okay. Um, but no staging. People are standing and saying certain Okay. Um, and, and he's saying, again, it's the blame game. Where does it go? Jerry Zaks is saying that when, when it went to Houston, that was never even brought to him. But the creative team that kind of revised it in the early 2000s, but they're saying that Jerry Zaks was the one that kind of changed it into this, like, theatrical event. This is what I'm going to say. Unpopular opinion, probably. Maybe. I'm, I know that there was a lot of bad blood with um, Jerome Robbins and how controlling he was. Jerome Robbins and how controlling he was. Mm-hmm. But you walk into a Jerome Robbins show and you knew exactly, was exactly what he wanted Regardless of who's was in charge of what part, <laughs> he was a dictator. It just feels like this entire show was a miscommunication. Yeah. And, I mean, we could be totally wrong, but it just, it feels that way. And like I said before, like, this is a show that I could totally see, like, a concept album. 
he wanted it to be a visceral reaction, like at a Springsteen concert or a football game. And I think that's where he went wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm going to get back to, uh, if I remember it later, but the whole idea is that if you want that kind of uh, a visceral reaction, like a Springsteen concert, maybe Broadway is not what you're looking for. Like, I don't go to a Broadway show and think, oh, this is just like when I was at the Bruno Mars concert and this happened. Right. I go to see a Broadway show because I want to see a Broadway show. Yeah. And I'm going to go see a concert because I want to go see a concert. And you had said before about concept albums. Frank Wildhorn was the person that would put out 80 concept albums before. He did this with Jekyll and Hyde. It was the first show that they ever did that with that he put out this concept album so that people had the taste. So people had a taste of the show. It was a great marketing device. Yeah. And when you're going up against things like You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, that came out in 99, and like Saturday Night Fever, Swing, Annie Get Your Gun. Oh, yeah. Fosse, Kiss Me, Kate. You can't yeah, you can't go in with, so with yeah. the Civil yeah. War that has no concept. It, it doesn't stand a chance. Yeah. And again, I'm going to go back to the idea that you and I are different in this respect. I need a book. Right. And if that, the flop of this show doesn't scream, most people that go to Broadway need a book. Absolutely. Pace paid $500,000 to get this off the floor. Like, oh, yeah, it sounds good. The Civil War? Yeah. Wow. It's almost like a, the Hamilton mixtape. I don't know if you've ever listened to it, but like when when you scroll on Spotify, which is what I was just doing at the Civil War cast album, it looks like the Hamilton mixtape cast album because it's just like, wow, here are some really popular musicians that people are really familiar with, and they have their own take on the song. It was compared. I've seen it compared to a '70s pop concept album. I've seen it. Variety compared it to a series of showstoppers in search of a show to stop. Wildhorn was trying to mold pop culture and musical theater. Yes. Because, and which I, is cool, which yeah. is kind of what contemporary musical theater is now. Right. And what I understand is his idea is that in the early 1900s, When you look at composers like Cole Porter, like George Gershwin, that were writing musicals and their songs, like even uh, George M. Cohen, they were writing songs and they, those songs became pop songs or that they were writing songs that, that were pre-written and then Mm -hmm. inserting them into songs. So how we think of pop music, and I always have to explain this to my students, we say pop music and we think of a specific genre, but pop, the word pop just refers to popular. What is popular right, at right. that time? So popular music, being in musical theater, pop music has always been around. And it wasn't until the 1960s, 70s that it started to diverge. And you had these two different songs. I mean, people will say we're in love was the top selling yeah. pop song right. of its time yeah. in 1943. So his idea that pop music and musical theater could meld is not a far-off concept. I just don't think that he did it well. A reviewer, you know, said that Wildhorn's goal of serving as a bridge between the pop music and the theater world depends on whether he can have more than just one crossover hit, like This Is The Moment, 
It's tough because the formats are so fragmented, he says, but if he does it, he will have done musical theater a terrific service. But the Civil War musical was nominated for two Tony Awards, like you said, Best Musical, Best Music. By this point, he had written a few songs for Victor Victoria. He had Jacqueline Hyde on Broadway. He had Scarlet Pimpernel on Broadway. This was the first time that Frank Wildhorn had been nominated for his score. If oh. that tells you anything about. Yikes. So he just, I feel like he wants to be the spirit of pop musical theater. And everybody just doesn't want him. No, you're you're right. But me too. Sorry, Frank. You do write some bops, though, I'm not going to lie. Do, you do. Like, Dying Ain't So Bad is a great song yeah. from, from Bonnie and Clyde. In any case, the Civil War was retooled. And reconceived and revised into a much more affable concert version in 2009. And it, it tours. It does well in community theaters. It does well in college theaters. Yeah. And, and there were people that went to go see the original, the OG Broadway. And they were like, there are, some of the reviews were like, you will never hear voices as amazing as you will in this show. I'll say it again. I said it earlier. I would love to see City Center do the show some justice. And maybe not the show, maybe the concert version. The woman says she's not obsessed with cats as she holds the cat up to the microphone. Anybody that's out there in the New York area, if you have not checked out New York City Center yeah. and there once once a month, and it's not all year long, I don't believe, but they, they do it. Yeah, I, most months. Yeah, but they will. Well, because they do other things there too. They do like a lot of like uh like dance. Yeah, it's a big dance venue. Yeah. But they will do musically staged versions of shows. So yeah. the orchestra will be on stage. It will not be fully staged. Right, fully they won't be off book. Set design and everything. Well, they'll be off well, book, but they'll book, hold yeah. the binders in their hands. Like they'll hold their scripts in their hands a lot of times, or they keep it on a music stand. Well. The only show that I saw them do that was Working. No, Little Shop, they did that too. Please. And Songs for a New World. Uh, Songs for New World, they did that with some numbers. Okay. Yeah. Like, I saw Mac and Mabel, they didn't do that. When we saw Brigadoon. Brigadoon, they didn't do that. Um, me and My Girl, they didn't do that. But they will do um, a musical that is not readily revived or done. I'm sad I missed Promenade when they did it there. Yeah, with Bonnie, Bonnie Milligan. Bonnie Milligan, my girl. So sad they didn't. I that missed is that a one. weird show. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. But I just want to see her in everything. She is so underused and unappreciated in the Broadway community. It's like not even funny. Which we will talk way more about Bonnie Milligan when we have our Head Over Heels episode because we are both big Head Over Heels fans. Yeah. Big fans. So we we definitely, and who wouldn't appreciate her? She's a queen. The talent is insane. Final question. Okay. If you were to see the Civil War revived in any form, what would it be? What do you mean in any form? Like any form is in like another recording of it. Um, Off-Broadway with a new book rewritten um, strictly as a song cycle, maybe more of a concept show, um, adding characters. Would you want to see it at City Center? Um, do you think it would do really well on the West End? Like, any, any, could it be a really good 
TV mini musical series? Like, what are we what are we thinking we could do with this show? Uh, oh, God. I think that it would need to be retooled not to have a book, but to have characters that we are following throughout um, to help us connect better with the show and with what these characters are going through. Yeah, because the big thing we talked about last week with Carrie was connecting to the character, sympathizing with the character. Yeah. So I think that if they retooled it, and did something like that. But even still, I don't think being on Broadway, off-Broadway or city center, I think would be the best place for I agree. Like I don't I don't even think I'd want to see it at off-Broadway. Yeah. I think I would love to see it reworked at City Center. Yeah. And I wouldn't even mind them having their, their books on stage. Only because it's one of those shows that I want to see reworked. I want to see what they could do with it because yeah. some of it is good. Yeah. And like you said, like I I would I would like them to um, make more consistent characters and have a storyline that we follow through the characters because there are some characters in it already that, well, I guess only two characters that have a, a song about the other um, and have a little bit of a love story. So if they, they could extend that and kind of go into more detail with that. Hopefully you like this week's podcast. We were a little bit all over the place. We can't help ourselves. We just kind of go with it. Well, we've been drinking. It, it's going to make sense when you edit it. Exactly. It might still be all over the place, but we've been drinking. It's fun. Hopefully by now your cup is empty. You've had a couple. Uh, you're getting ready a to go and take wars. a nap because <laughs> a couple civil wars. Yeah. We're going to take a nap because that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Don't forget to follow us on social media. You, you could also go on Instagram and uh, follow us there again at Broadway Blackout. If you want to check us out, you can go to uh, stagedoorboxes.com backslash podcast. Also, check out Stage Door Boxes. Um, it is a monthly musical theater subscription box that brings the magic of Broadway to your very own stage door. Thanks for joining Jerk. us this week. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for listening in, and we'll uh, we'll have another flop musical for you next week. See you next Wednesday. Flippity flop, home skillet. Bye. That's my flippity flop, home skillet.